Well, good morning, Great Oaks. All right, that was pretty good for 9 o'clock. Uh, I'm impressed. That's great. So I want to start by just saying thank you. Thank you for your incredible kindness and warm welcome. We have felt, and by we, I mean my wife, two kids, our entire family has felt welcomed here. And you're going to figure something out about me. My emotions are always about that deep below the surface. Today's an emotional day for me. It's an exciting time. And it's a little bit terrifying. <laughs> but we have been thankful for the gifts, the cards. And for you parents who are in the room or kids who are in the room who wrote notes to my fifth grade son, Ethan, and my eighth grade son, Josiah, I want you to know when those came, it had been a rough day. And we sat on the couch, Corey and I. This did not happen in any of the run-throughs I went through. <laughs> and we cried as they read each one of those encouraging notes. So thank you so much for your gifts, for your heartfelt words, and for the welcome that we've received. We truly appreciate it. Thank you, Rocky and Sue, for being here today and for celebrating with Great Oaks and with us. It means a lot. All right, let's see if we can pray and all these emotions will go back under the surface. <laughs> let's pray. God, we are so thankful for the ways that you work in our lives, for the blessings that you provide, for God, for all the good things that you do. And we've come this morning, many of us, to say thank you for that, to say thank you for the ways you've provided, for the ways you've blessed us, for the ways you've led us. And God, we've come to hear from your word today. God, there are others in the room, though, who have just barely made it in here today. God, they've come with aches, they've come with pain, they've come with hurt, and they've come looking for answers. And God, I pray that as we open up your word today and we walk through it, that they would find that. And that God, above all else, I pray that you would speak your truth. That your Holy Spirit would use your word to transform hearts and minds in this place. And that God, this entire service would be about you and not about us. And so, God, we ask that you would speak. We pray all this in Jesus' name and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right. So I'm not someone who likes to sit in the shallow real long. So we're going to jump in today, both feet into the deep end, maybe make some of you uncomfortable. Let's hope Dan was wrong and it's a lot more than months that we last here. So if we're real honest with each other this morning, have any of you ever had doubts about your faith? Doubted the things you've been taught. Maybe raise your hand. Well, this would be audience participation. Anybody ever have doubts? Anybody still have doubts, right? Maybe you've thought things like, seriously? You want me to take an ancient book, read it, and believe that it could somehow relate to my life in the 21st century? Maybe you read that story about Jonah and the whale, and you thought, how does somebody get swallowed by a whale, live there for three days, get vomited up on the shore and live? Now that was a lot harder to believe until about a month ago when it happened again. If you saw any of the trending things there where the guy got swallowed by a whale and spit back up on the sea, you can go home and search that on Google. I'll keep your Google feed real busy today. Maybe you sat in middle school science class. The teacher taught you about evolution and that all of this happened by chance, and you began to wonder, she seems to have better evidence 
than the guy at church who told me to just read Genesis 1 and 2. How do I believe? What do I believe? How does all of this happen? Maybe you're in freshman philosophy class in college, and you became pretty clear by the end of that class that maybe God wasn't as necessary as you once thought he was. Now, I want you to know, whether you're here at Great Oaks for the first time today, or this is your 4,000th Sunday with us, it's okay and normal to have doubts. It's okay to question. It's okay to wrestle with our faith. I actually think that wrestling and that questioning shows us our faith is growing. However, I also want to warn you, when you jump out into those waters and you begin to question, you begin to really wrestle with your doubts, it might be one of the most uncomfortable things you've ever had to do. Most of our doubts are brought on by some kind of painful experience or when someone challenges our faith and we're not sure that we have an answer to their challenge, an answer that they want or even an answer that we need. But maybe one of the most damaging things we can do when somebody begins to express their doubt is to simply say, you know, you just need more faith. You see, doubt is not the opposite of faith. I'm going to say that a couple times today, but I don't want you to miss it. Doubt is not the opposite of faith. Maybe you've had somebody tell you when you expressed a question or a doubt, maybe they've quoted to you Matthew 17, 20. If you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. Now, I've lived enough life. I've known enough incredible followers of Jesus who have gone through horrific things, who if in the middle of that, they could say, you know what? I have faith as small as a mustard seed, so stop. They would have stopped that horrific thing. I've lost friends to cancer. I've sat in hospital rooms with parents of sick kids. And maybe the moment when those verses get quoted or get taken out of context and used in those moments, they're not helpful, but maybe the worst one I've ever been in. I was leading a small group at the time, working at Chick-fil-A, and we had a couple in our small group who was due to have a baby that day. And the whole day went by, and nobody heard anything from them. And so I told Corey, I'm like, I'm just going to stop on the way home. I'm going to drive right by the hospital. They're out. I'll stop and see how they're doing and how the baby's doing. I parked my car. I walked in. And I expected to see a bassinet. I expected to hear a baby cry. I expected to see parents and other family members celebrating what was going on. But there was no bassinet. There was no baby. There was a mom sitting in street clothes facing a window, her husband's hand on her shoulder. You see, don't doubt in the midst of your baby having a heart attack at birth and being in the NICU fighting for her last breath. Just have more faith. Seems a little hollow. There are no answers in times like that. So this morning, what I want to help us see is that doubt will actually help our faith grow. But if you're here this morning 
and you came with questions, or you came in the middle of pain, or you came in the midst of your doubts, one, I am so glad you're, t- you're here. And two, I know maybe the hardest thing you'll do all week was walking into this room. And I respect you for that. And I thank you for pushing through that. But what I want you to know is you are not alone. You're not the only person in this building who's doubted. You're not the only person who's ever followed Jesus or had questions about who Jesus is who's doubted. Some of the greatest Christians ever have doubted. Martin Luther, the guy who like on the original Halloween, like nailed the thesis to the door. Knock, knock, knock. Catholic Church, I've got a few tricks for you. No treats, I've got a few tricks. Right? He nailed that to the wall. An older woman came up to him and said, I'm troubled by the doubt I have. He's questioned her. Do you believe the creeds? Now, if you're not familiar with creeds, that's a short statement of faith. You can go home, Google that. If you get a rock band, wrong Google search. If you get a movie about a boxer, wrong Google search, try again. (laughs) But keep looking for that creed and you'll figure out what those are. He asked her, when you recite the creeds, do you believe them? And she said, yes. Martin Luther's response to her was, then go in peace because you believe more and better than I do. The guy who started the Protestant Reformation had doubts. Billy Graham led thousands of people to the Lord. Every pastor aspires to be Billy Graham, right? We want to have as many people come to know Jesus as a result of our preaching. At age 90, someone asked him, do you think when you die, you will hear and get to heaven, you'll hear the words, well done, my good and faithful servant. Billy Graham's response, I hope so. If Billy Graham is hoping, I got nervous again. But as we walk through this series called Growing Through Doubt over the next three weeks, what I hope you see is that the pages of scripture are filled with stories of men and women of faith all throughout the Bible who had doubts. And it was these moments that their relationship with Jesus changed and grew deeper. The truth of scripture is that doubt is not the opposite of faith. But doubt can be the most fertile soil in which our faith can grow. But that happens only if, instead of denying them, instead of ignoring them, instead of pushing our doubts and our questions aside, instead of walking away from the church and silently just trying to disappear, we begin to share, we begin to embrace, we begin to question those doubts. If you miss everything else I say this morning, don't miss this. The beginning of true faith is expressed doubt. The beginning of true faith is expressed doubt. Now, in order to unpack that statement, we're going to open up to Psalm chapter 13 this morning. Now, if you've got your Bible, go ahead, pull that out, or your app on your phone. Now, don't be confused. If you're new to the Bible, Psalm starts with P and then S. It's got that silent consonant there, messes everybody up. So you're looking for a book that starts with P. If you're in a paper Bible, it's going to be about halfway through the middle. And Psalm 13 is part of a collection of Psalms that we call lament Psalms. One of the things I appreciate the most about lament psalms is that they teach us how to express our hurt, our doubt, and our pain to a God who loves us immeasurably more than we could ever imagine. And as we look at this psalm, I want you to understand the guy writing it, he's a guy named King David. 
He was the king. He had everything going for him. He was the anointed king, the one God had promised. Your family will always have a king to sit on the throne of all of Israel. He's the guy who's got the, the like cush life, right? Like his kids are always going to be king. They're always going to be royalty. If you've read his story or you're familiar with it at all, you know doubt's not the only thing he struggled with. And he had some up and down times. But the New Testament says that David was a man after God's own heart. But in Psalm 13, verses 1 and 2, David writes this. O Lord, how long will you forget me? Forever? How long will you look the other way? How long must I struggle with anguish in my soul, with sorrow in my heart? Every day? How long will my enemies have the upper hand? All right, audience participation part of the show. Anybody brave enough to say you felt like David has? God's forgotten me. I'm alone here. I think it's worth noting as we look at this scripture, four times in two verses, David cries out, how long? What I want you to know is if you're going through those moments of doubt or pain today, you're questioning your faith, there's no guarantee this is a short journey. For David, this journey's been going on for a while. He's begging God. I don't think you get to the point David is because you had one bad day. You don't wake up and have a Monday and Tuesday be like, God, how long have you forgot me? Maybe if we do, we need to develop a little bit of endurance. This is a trial he's been going through and fighting through for a long time. You see, your doubts, your questions, your pain, it may not disappear tomorrow. It may not disappear ever. You may not find questions or answers to your questions. But I think we're going to grow along the way. Second thing I want you to be reminded of, and we talked about it already, this is King David, a man after God's own heart, a follower of Christ. Somebody who was pursuing what God asked him to do. You see, David's just one. We can take a look at Moses, who doubted that God could use him because he had a stuttering problem, who doubted God would provide for the Israelites in the wilderness. We can take a look at Gideon, who doubted that God could win the battle with the army that he provided him. We could look at Elijah, this incredible man of faith, who stood one to 800 and then doubted that God was going to bring him any help and goes and have a, has a pity party in the wilderness. We could look at Peter, the disciple in the New Testament, who were never told Peter exactly doubts except for when he walks on water. We're going to look at that next week. But why else would you cut off a soldier's ear? Why else would you deny that you knew Jesus three times if you weren't having a little bit of doubt that maybe he really wasn't going to rise again? Maybe he really wasn't who he said he was going to be. Over and over, characters and people in the Bible are reminded that God is faithful when they express their doubts, that God will show up, that they are not alone. I want to move on to verse 3 because I think that's the next most important part of this psalm, and this is probably the key verse to this psalm in my opinion. Verse 3, Turn and answer me, O Lord my God. Restore the sparkle to my eyes or I will die. Don't let my enemies gloat saying we have defeated him. Don't let them rejoice at my downfall. Did you catch that? David, like a parent, talking to a teenager, looks at God and goes, turn and answer me. 
He's not talking to his like 13-year-old son. He's talking to the God who creates the universe and he demands that God turn and look at him and answer him. These are not the words we talk about all the time, right? Anybody pray like that yesterday? God, I demand that you turn around and answer my prayer request, right? Like we get a little uncomfortable sometimes when we see that kind of stuff. But why this is so important is because the beginning of faith is expressed doubt. The beginning of faith is not doubt. You can hold that doubt in your mind. You can keep it inside all the time. And I don't think you're going to start to grow faith. But the minute you begin to express that, the minute you cry out to God in that, the minute you share that with a friend or a family member, you begin to grow. And so David in this place, in this place of doubt, in this place of hurt, cries out to God and says, Turn around, answer me. Stephanie O'Brien in her book, Stay Curious, frames this concept as the difference between wondering and wandering. If you wander, you're walking off. You're keeping everything tucked inside. If you wonder, you're beginning to express those questions and those doubts. And I want to read an excerpt of her book for you. You see, I see the difference between wandering and wondering like this. Wandering is a coping mechanism of avoidance that tries to minimize what is uncomfortable. Wondering is an active pursuit of questions and a willingness to risk the tension in the unknown. Wandering is a way to steer clear of the stress that comes from a deep concern about the direction that might be best for you and others around you. Wondering is a heightened curiosity about God, yourself, others, and the world that, while often uncomfortable, is full of passion and intrigue. Wandering is motivated by fear, confusion, apathy, and an endless search for novelty. Wondering is motivated by passionate uncertainty that the mystery of God and the excitement that comes with discovery Wonder that fuels our passion and leads to discovery. Wonder that pushes us to even deeper questions and away from pat answers. God is calling us not to simply satisfy contentment, but to deeper meaning-making experiences, the kind of experiences that bring a community or a family closer together rather than further apart. So when we begin to have questions when we begin to have doubts, will we wander, keep it all to ourselves, stuff it all inside, or will we begin to wonder about the magnificence, the greatness, the power, the faithfulness of God? Now, I want you to know this is not a safe thing. I like to think of it in terms of baseball. Any baseball fans in here? All right, Cubs? I know I'm like 50-50, right, Cubs fans? I'm sorry. Cardinals fans? Yeah, there we go. We got it. Astros fans? Oh, too, too soon, Dan. I'm sorry. Any, any Braves fans with me? It's been a good week for the Braves, hasn't it? All right. Little World Series. It's time to get back to the 90s. It feels good. But in baseball, if you don't know about baseball, in baseball, the goal is hit the ball, make it from home, to first, then from first to second, then from second to third, and from third to fourth. 
No, back home. When we begin to doubt, if we will engage in the process of wondering, that's exactly what happens. We leave home and we head to first base. But it's a little scary, right? I mean, it's not like, oh, I'm just going to stroll down to first base. There's a lot of things going on. You could get out. But what you know in the midst of this play is that you can't go back home. And when we begin to wrestle with doubt, when we begin to have questions, it normally happens when we've left home. Now, I don't mean that happens when you're 18 and you go off to college, because I think it can happen way before that. It happens when we have left the faith of our childhood. I think home equals childlike faith, childhood faith. It's the faith of our parents, right? It's unexamined. It's what our parents told us to believe. So we had to believe it. Some of you are in this room today because your parents said, I have to come to church. If you didn't have to be here, you wouldn't be. But your parents made you come. Some of you who are here are 40 years old and you're here because your parents made you come, right? Let's be honest. <laughs> Leaving home, it happens when someone challenges something we believe and their argument is a strong one. Leaving home is when we discover something to be true that flies in the face of what we've already known. And all of a sudden, whether we wanted to or not, we're not at home. We're somewhere between home and first or first and second, and it's a little bit uncomfortable. We're not sure we're going to get all the way around the bases. We're not sure we're going to make it all the way back home. And if you get stuck between home and first, and you start to wander, you stuff that stuff inside, you will get out. But if you begin to wonder, you invite people to wonder and ask questions with you, you share what's going on with you, you get a team of people who are going to cheer you on to first, to second, to third, and then back home. What you're going to find is home is different than the home you left. It's going to be richer. It's going to seem more real. Because it's going to be the faith that you believe. Not what some preacher told you standing on stage. Not what mom and dad told you you had to believe. Wander requires us to do the work. It puts the emphasis on what we do. We have to seek for answers. We have to search the Bible. We have to seek for wise counseling. Wondering is hard work. But the reward in the end is worth it. You may never get the answer you're looking for. But you will get a deeper relationship with Jesus. Doubting is not about leaving home and never coming back. That's what we all fear, isn't it, parents? What if my kid starts to ask questions and then never comes home? And so when they ask questions, we respond like we do as parents, and we're like, no, 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 that, that's, don't, don't worry about that. Just forget, it doesn't exist. Ignore it. I've been there. I'm with you. I am a parent, Dan. I can't be at your class next week, but I want to. We need some encouragement. My kid in fourth grade Sunday school, or what you would call Highway 45, kids town over here, they were learning the story of Jesus turning water into wine. And the teacher said, if you saw Jesus turn all this water into wine, wouldn't you believe? My oldest son, Josiah, goes, nah. Could be a magic trick. 
Yep, that has been our faith journey with that child since fourth grade. He's not here today, so I can pick on him a little bit. Last year in seventh grade, he came home and he goes, so dad, evolution's fact. Oh, it is. Let's talk about that. And so instead of being like, no, it's not, you're wrong, creation is fact, we dove into a conversation about how they're both actually hypotheses. Because you can't scientifically prove either one. So let's begin to talk about that. What if, when people came to us with their doubts, instead of telling them their doubt is wrong, we began to ask them more questions. We began to help them journey. What if we did that with our coworkers and our neighbors and our family members and our kids? And all of a sudden, we begin to become a safe place where it's okay to ask questions. It's okay to express doubt. It's okay to not know. But in the process, every one of us is growing because I promise you, if you enter into someone else's doubt, you can't do it without doing a little bit of research yourself. And so what's that look like for us? And when we do this, something happens. I want to jump back to Psalm 13, verses 5 and 6. Because the author here says this, But I trust in your unfailing love. I will rejoice because you have rescued me. I will sing to the Lord because he is good to me. What? Is this the same guy who just yelled at God to stand, turn around, and look at him? I will trust I will rejoice, I will sing. You know, when we enter that process of wondering, we hold fast to what we believe, to what we've experienced. We have to learn in that wondering to not throw it all out. When I've experienced doubts, when I've began to wonder I cling to how God has worked in my life in the past, and I cling to what I know to be true. And one of the things I cling the tightest to is the fact that God sent his son to walk on earth, proven historically. That he said, I will die, and three days later, I will rise again. And he did. Nobody else has done that. No remains found in a tomb. I cling to that. And in holding to that, I can begin to question a lot of other things. That's what the psalmist is doing. I will trust in your unfailing love, God. And the fact that that love will never cease, never stop. There's nothing I could do that would cause you to not love me. I'm going to hold on to that in the midst of my questions as I wonder where you are. It's because of Jesus' death on the cross and the empty tomb that he walked out of that I know I'll never be alone. That one day I will be rescued from my doubts and my struggle and that in the midst of my questions, I can have peace and so can you. I cling to the hope of Jesus' words in Revelation 22. Verse 7, he says, look, I am coming soon. Verse 12, he says again, look, I am coming soon. And in verse 20, he says, look, I am coming soon. And the chorus is, amen, come Lord Jesus. As followers of Christ, when we have questions, our ultimate source of hope is in the fact that Jesus is coming soon. 
that at that moment all my questions will be answered. I won't care, but they'll be answered. Because he will come back. He will end our pain. He will end our suffering. And everything will be restored. But until then, we get to live by faith. Holding on to faith. Wondering about our doubts. Again, Martin Luther, I promise I won't quote the same guy all the time in my sermons. He just says some really great stuff. Says this, faith is a free surrender and a joyous wager on the unseen, unknown, untested goodness of God. That's what we're holding on to. Unknown, unseen, untested goodness of God. My guess is you've seen a little bit of that at some point in your faith journey. And if we're going to experience faith like that, we have to to share our doubts with God and those around us because the beginning of true faith is expressed doubt. I don't know what doubts or questions you came with this morning. I don't know where your life experience has led you up until here. My guess is someone in this room or in the room next had a fight with their kids in the parking lot. Some of us came in here because it's been a really long week and we're just exhausted. What I hope And what I know is that I want Great Oaks to be a place where it's safe to share those feelings without being judged. Where it's safe to ask questions and not be given simple answers. Where it's safe to express our doubts and to cling to what we know. If you're here today and you are questioning, I have a few things I wanna tell you about how you can begin wondering and stop wandering. First, I wanna challenge you this week, go home and write down a list of all the questions and all the doubts you have. Maybe that list is gonna be a full notebook. Maybe you'll start to write and realize there's only one thing there. But once you've got that done, I want you to identify the one that you wanna begin to work on first. And then form a process. Nothing fancy. You don't need any test tubes, no beakers, nothing from science class. What are you going to read? Who do you know you can share that question with? Maybe you know somebody who's been through something similar to what you're going through. And the best thing you can go do is go find them and talk to them. Say, hey, this doesn't make sense to me. What research are you going to do? And maybe the most important thing I want you to write down in that process is, what do you want God to do in the midst of this? How do you want God to answer this question? Three, invite somebody into the process with you. You can't do this alone. Baseball is not played by one person. It's played by a team. And lastly, review your results along the way. Again, you may not get the answer you want. That's okay. You might get a better answer. You might not get an answer at all. You might end up with more questions. But as we review along the way, you might realize, but I don't actually question the way I used to. My faith is growing in this process. There are no simple answers to these questions. But along the way, we remember and we trust, like the psalmist did, in the unfailing love of God. Church, there are some of you here who probably don't have any doubts. Good job but I bet you know somebody who does. 
but you know somebody who's hurting, somebody who's struggling along the way. And maybe what they desperately want is someone to reach out to them, someone who feels safe enough to share those questions and those doubts with. Someone who they could be honest with and not be judged. Maybe it's a family member, maybe it's a coworker, maybe it's a neighbor. But if we're gonna love people and minister to people the way Jesus did, we have to meet them where they are with love, with humility, with compassion. And we have to walk alongside them in this journey. And we don't get to quit when it gets hard. We just keep walking. Lastly, if you're someone who likes to read, I've got a couple books that I'd recommend. One of them is this book, Stay Curious. There's a reading list out at Connection Central. You can stop on your way out. There's a couple titles on there. You can get that, read it. If you do, love to talk to you about it. Let me know. Church, if we're gonna grow in faith, we have to get comfortable expressing our doubt and then trusting the God who loves us to do what only he can do. Will you pray with me? God, thank you. Thank you for scripture that's real, that doesn't sugarcoat life, that doesn't hide the things that are gonna happen all around us. God, thank you for people who have doubted, who we look up to and respect and proves to us that we can doubt too. God, I pray though that as we grow in our relationship with you, those doubts begin to stay in our head and our heart is fully committed to you. So God, we ask and pray that you would work. Show us those around us who need someone to walk with them and give us strength for the journey. We pray all this in Jesus' name and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So today we're going to celebrate communion. I think communion is one of those things that I hold on to in the midst of my doubts. It's that tangible presence that reminds us of the truth we hold to. That God became flesh, walked among us, stepped out of heaven because he loved us that much. And so we come to the table to remember, to celebrate what Jesus has done. So if you can peel that back, Jesus gathered his disciples around the table. He took the bread and he broke it. He said, this is my body given for you, a sign of what he would do for us on the cross. Each time you take and eat it, do this in remembrance of me, the body of Christ given for you. And after dinner, he took the cup. He said, this is a covenant in my blood, a covenant for all who believe now and in the future. His blood is what covers our sins, what makes us whole, what provides us forgiveness. He said, each time you drink this cup, do this in remembrance of me the blood of Christ shed for you. I hope each time you take communion, you remember a powerful and passionate and unending love that Jesus has for you.